This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy Sports. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. Thrive has eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about top-tier athletes in a respective sport. If you're doing it for the NBA or the NFL, choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. If you're going to be using it for the PGA that is starting back up this week with the Tournament of Champions, you choose 5 out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Like I said, for the PGA, you got the Tournament of Champions coming up this week starting on Thursday. Thrive has new contests for each day of the tournaments. So a Thursday only, a Friday only, Saturday only, so on and so on. So do not fret. Don't worry about it if your golfers ruin your weekend by not making the cut. Today, to date, Thrive has awarded over $1.3 million in prizes since launching in 2018. To get involved with Thrive Fantasy, all you have to do is use my promo code SAC, all capital letters S-A-C-K, when you sign up and you'll receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download the Thrive Fantasy app on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website at www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Hit that ish. And sorry, I knew you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls and uh, hand up. This one's on me. Have not given you all an episode in about a month and a half going on two months. Um, a lot was going on with the holidays. At times I literally just did not feel like doing this. Um, put that one on me. I take full responsibility and I apologize. I just want to get that out of the way. But with the NBA season starting back up, with the NFL playoffs going on, with the PGA starting back up, and then with the college football playoff national championship happening on Monday, I figured, and also really with the new year, I figured what better time than to get an episode out to all the listeners of the SAC. So that's what we're doing. We have a mail sack that's going to be coming up. We are re- rearranging a little bit of the order of segments for this week's podcast because I'm recording on Tuesday right now. Then I'd like to see a little bit of what the Heisman Trophy uh, presentation has to offer tonight. So I will be talking right now Tuesday and we'll be leading off with a NFL playoff preview. 
And then on Thursday, I will record and put out the rest of the podcast where I'll be talking about the college football playoff championship game between Ohio State and Alabama, look back at their performances in the semifinals of that. I will also be doing the mail sack on Thursday, so that is going to be positioned a little bit later in the show. And then I'm also going to have a NBA season preview reaction so far to the season with Ryan Moore, who has joined us numerous times on the sack already. We're going to be looking and doing our usual breakdown of our playoff picks, our championship picks, our player award picks. That is going to be at the end of the show for you all there. So, the segments in order here, I'm just going to line them up for you because, like I said, I do know that the mail sack normally leads us off, and I know a lot of people do like that, but I will give a time stamp for you when that is done, when I tweet it out, when the mail sack happens, but we're going to do NFL playoffs, college football playoffs, the mail sack, and then we're going to be doing the NBA preview with Ryan Moore. So let's get right into this week's episode, episode 79 of Carson Sack Podcast. But first, I do have to remind you, like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you may get your podcast from. It helps me out a lot. And um, again, uh, hand up. I apologize. I blew that coverage. I let the guy go by me. Um, I apologize for not getting you all a podcast sooner. Let's get right into the NFL playoffs. Looking at the NFL matchups, let's start with the Saturday games. Saturday at 1.05, you have the Colts and the Bills playing at Buffalo. You got to feel real bad for the Buffalo fans. Probably their best team in years, and they've not been able to go to a single game all year. You look at the Colts and what they've been able to do this year on their side of the field. You bring in Phillip Rivers. I remain steadfast in my extreme dislike of Philip Rivers. There is, he should, he's not a good NFL quarterback. He gets by. The team for the Colts has been able to really run the ball. Jonathan Taylor has come on as of late as a wonderful addition. You really are starting to see his potential. What they thought they might have gotten all year from him. Um, it's really starting to show that, hey, this is the guy for them. Um, but again, back to Phillip Rivers. If you go out there and you tell Philip Rivers he has to go and score 35, 40 points to win this game because the Bills are extremely capable of doing that on their side of the ball with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, um, Cole Beasley, a lot of other weapons on offense for Josh Allen and that team uh, I don't think it's going to get done I think that it's going to be a game of sort of like keep away where the Colts are going to try and meticulate the ball down the field really stress the importance of running with Jonathan Taylor and a couple other guys um, get Phil Rivers comfortable with play action completing easy throws, just getting the ball down the field, dink and dunk style, and trying to keep the talented offense of the Bills off the field. Do I think that's going to work? No, not necessarily. I think even with how good the Colts defense is, I think the Bills offense and what Josh Allen has been able to do this year is just much better. Um, yes, you do need defense to win in the playoffs, and the Bills have shown... St- 
turning it around a little bit in the last half of the season that their defense is starting to look like a strength that going into the year a lot of people thought they would have and maybe sort of lean on um they're not looking like one of the best in the NFL but in the playoffs I think you just need to have about a good to average defense and I think I would put the Bills defense in that good range right now so if it's not obvious enough I'm going to move the Bills on into the second round of the playoffs the Saturday second game we have is the Rams Seahawks the big question on this one is Jared Goff going to be playing will John Wolford still be the starter um and then Another thing that you need to look at, this Seahawks team at the start of the year, their offense was one of the best in the NFL, if not the best. Um, The let Russ cook mantra was being shouted from the rooftops by every analysis and fan of whatnot in Seattle. And then they sort of brought it down. Let Russ just simmer. Let him be in the kitchen but not do anything crazy and they were still winning games. Now it seems like Russ is at times throughout the week ordering from Grubhub or Postmates or Uber Eats. He's not cooking at all until the last minute of a half or the last minute of a game, just sort of throwing some shit together um, when he needs to. The defense for the Seahawks has improved greatly since Jamal Adams got healthy. They bring in Dunlap from the... Uh, Bengals in the middle of the season. The defense, again, I'm not saying you have to be elite, but it does help if you have a great defense in the playoffs, obviously, but good to average. And I think the Seahawks' defense right now is about eh, average. And if that offense can start to click, they're going to pose a lot of problems. Um, Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, if you want to throw in Penny or Dallas as well, they've got a at least two-headed running back um, by committee that they can use and really wear teams down, I think, which is going to be helpful to help Russell Wilson maybe not have to shoulder the entire burden. The offensive line for the for the Seahawks is eh, but if they can get hot and protect Russell Wilson and give the running back some lanes to help create and make it so Russell Wilson doesn't have to just go out and throw the ball 45 times and win the game for them, all on his shoulders, then I think the Seahawks have a real good chance to go forward. Looking on the Rams side, if Jared Goff plays, Jared Goff has been extremely up and down. Um, the defense for the Rams is obviously the strength of that team with Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, a talented group of linebackers as well. You can put Jalen Ramsey on anybody in the NFL um, at the wide receiver position, and he is going to limit their production for that game. Um, It's extremely, at times, difficult to run on the Rams because of what Aaron Donald and the rest of that front seven is able to do. But you get a little bit of game game film on John Wolford, and you see that what he does passing the ball isn't anything special. He can hurt you with his legs, but you're going to probably be more in tune and aware of that after that first week if you're Pete Carroll and if you're the defensive staff in Seattle. You're going to be keen on that a little bit more. So those running lanes and what was available aren't going to be as available this week for John Wolford and the Rams. If Goff plays and they can get Akers back, who is playing pretty well 
I understood he played last week, but if he can get healthy, healthy, and back to what he was going back to the Patriots game, then the Rams have a pretty decent shot. I think this is going to be a really good game. I think it being in Seattle, even if without the fans, it helps a lot. So I'm going to go with the Seahawks over the Rams in this one. And then the Saturday night game um, in the NFC, you have the Buccaneers going to the Washington football team. I told my dad this, and I will share this with you. I told him any team that in the NFC that gets to play the Buccaneers, take them in the first round. But if it's the team that wins the NFC East, then forget about it. I think this Buccaneers team is an absolute sham a fraud masquerading as a football team. You can go back, and a lot of people were really fired up in a good loss. I put air quotes around that. Good loss when the Buccaneers lost to the Chiefs, which the game was dominated by the Chiefs, and the Buccaneers came back late to only lose by three. Since then, they go and they beat the Vikings 26-14. to Eh, like, that game shouldn't have been as close. The offense for the Buccaneers didn't look as great as it should have. Then the next week after that, they beat the Falcons 27-31. to Game shouldn't have been that close. The offense is beginning to click in that Falcons game. I will give it that. Brady was spreading the ball around the field, getting Antonio Brown involved, getting... Godwin involved as well. Mike Evans was involved. Then you have against the Lions, whatever, not really into it, whatever, 47-7. Offense probably looked the best it's going to all year, but it's against the Lions. And then to close out the game, the game this week, to close out the year, the Buccaneers beat the Falcons again, 44-27. At the time, the Buccaneers beat the Vikings way back four weeks ago. The Vikings were still in it, but... Needed some help. It was an important game to them. So you can say they got their best shot. But ending it with the Vikings, Falconeers. The Vikings, the Falcons twice, and the Lions for your four last games. Teams that they're not good. I mean, obviously none of them made the playoffs. The Falcons are going to have a top 10 pick. The Lions are going to have a top 10 pick. The Vikings aren't, but... They're just not good, and I am just not sold on this Buccaneers team really whatsoever. With that being said, the offense in Washington is not going to be able to score enough points to, I think, contend with what the Buccaneers do. And if you look at what Tom Brady struggles with, in the past against teams in the playoffs and just in general, it is a strong defensive line. And the Washington football team has one of the best um, defensive lines with Chase Young and Montez Sweat and a lot of other talented guys there. Um, I think that is going to be able to pose some problems for them. Um, it'll be interesting seeing how Bruce Aarons and Leftwich and uh, Tom Brady himself are going to be able to maybe make some in-game adjustments or have a game plan already drawn up to where they can counterbalance that with some quick throws. Maybe you see more of what Tom Brady was doing in New England where he got the ball out quick. They have a ton of talent at the receiver position to be able to do that. Um I think Gronk is going to have a big game in this one because I think they are going to need to get the ball out quick. Tom, I think, is going to have the most trust with Gronk um, out of that with 
just how, where he wants him to be and getting him the ball so quickly on routes. I think that's um, a thing to look at. What Washington, what the Washington football team has done this year is nothing short, I think, of remarkable with how Ron Rivera handled his cancer treatment, with them having the second pick in the NFL draft this past year, with Alex Smith coming back and being the um, comeback player of the year, hands down. Um, all of that coupled together and them finding a way to scrape together. Um, how many wins? Seven wins and to win the division. I understand you finish under 500, but you win your division. Uh, hats off to what they did in Washington this year, but I think the Buccaneers do end up winning that game. Now that the Saturday games are taken care of, we look at the Sunday games. Um, starting at 1 o'clock, you have the Ravens and the Titans. This game is going to be the fastest game in the playoffs. I think that both teams are going to obviously want to establish the run game in this one with Derrick Henry for the Titans and Lamar Jackson and that talented running back core with the Ravens. Looking at the Ravens, and I think they've come to understand that they don't need to justify Lamar Jackson winning the MVP last year. They don't need to justify and feel like they have to throw the ball 25, 30 times a game just because they want to see Lamar Jackson do that and like feed analysts and show, hey, this he can do both. I think they just finally realized that, hey, he can throw the ball 15 to 20 times a game and just we can run it down on anybody's throat and win games in this league. And Lamar Jackson, as talented as he is, there are going to be times in this playoffs if they are going to make a run, he's going to have to beat teams through the air with the pass. And I think he's starting to become capable enough to do that. The chip on uh, the shoulder of Lamar Jackson, I think, without having really performed in a big game in the playoffs, um, going back losing to the Chargers in his rookie year, going back last year, and losing to the Titans last year as the favorite in that game. I don't know if that's going to weigh heavy on him. I think it is something to watch as a bit of a revenge game for Lamar Jackson in this one. Another thing, just speak about with the Ravens, how they use the running backs. Mark Ingram hasn't really been used a lot since, really, he got hurt or he had the corona, I believe, um, in the middle to late half of the season. Uh, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins have really come on for that team. I think if you can implement two of those guys, which I think it's going to be Gus and Dobbins. And Dobbins, I thought this the entire year, that I had him in fantasy. This is not a fantasy thing, but it was more of an, as an overall thing. I think having two guys like a Gus Edwards and a J.K. Dobbins come along and you can keep a fresh guy in there and really wear on defenses and impose your will with the run game is going to help the Ravens so much. And J.K. Dobbins has only progressed this entire year, had a good week one, and then kind of got lost in the wilderness, got his opportunity when Ingram was shelved for a few weeks, has really grown and shown that, hey, he was worth the pick in the draft where they took him. He's can be, I think, an every down back for them. Um, it's sort of just because they have Edwards that they use him a lot. 
and they involve him a lot. But if they didn't, and Dobbins was the only guy back there for them, he could be a three-down back for them easily. I think you can see Mark Ingram maybe get a few more carries, be involved a little bit more, because I think he is a lot of, not the heart and soul of that team, but I think he is very important to the culture of that team. And I think he can say it's only about winning and losing to him, and it might be, but I think... The Ravens can look to a veteran like him and have him provide stability for them in the run game at times. Um, as a third fresh set of legs in that, it's going to help an extremely large amount, I believe. And I think that the defense for the Ravens is going to pose some problems for the Titans because the Titans defense, let's get I don't think they're going to be able to stop the rushing game. I think the execution of play action and just the diversity of runs that the Ravens are going to be able to implore and then get Lamar Jackson on the move and able to throw the ball is going to confuse and bother the Titans. Um, Ryan Tannehill has shown, hey, yeah, if the run game is working and I can throw the ball a little bit based off that run game, I'm, pr- I'm a pretty good NFL quarterback, but I don't think that Ryan Tannehill is going to go out there and just strictly win you the game. And we saw last year how the Titans were able to run the ball on the defense of the Ravens. The Ravens' defense, I think, is better this year than they were last year. Um, A.J. Brown, great receiver, young receiver for the Titans, but I think Marcus Peters and the secondary are going to really be queuing in on him and ask the rest of the receiving core and tight ends for the Titans to step up and make plays, and I don't know if they really have that secondary option, so I'm going to take the Ravens over the Titans. Then, the 4 o'clock game the in the NFC, the Nickelodeon game, you have the Bears and the Saints. This is difficult just because I don't I do. I want the Saints to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Just because I do think this is going to be Drew Brees' last year. But I don't think that Drew Brees is going to be able to do enough to get them that far. I think they'll be able to piece together a gutsy, scratchy win. I think this game is going to be closer than a 9.5, 10 or so that the people in Vegas are thinking. I think the Bears are going to be able to run the ball a little bit, and that's been hard to do on the Saints all year because their defense has been the strength of that team all year, but I think the Bears are going to be able to run the ball. I think Mitch is going to be able to make a few throws, make it through plays with his leg, and keep the game closer than people are expecting, but ultimately... I think in an ugly win, the Saints do get it done and move on to the second round. And then the Sunday night game, the Browns and the Steelers. The big news already you have today, the Browns are going to be without um, Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, the coach that is in the running for coach of the year. They're going to be without one of their offensive linemen, and they're going to be without um, one of their receivers, Hodge. It. It's extremely Browns to have this happen after the 18-year playoff drought for them to be able to make the playoffs a real feel-good story and then come out today and say, hey, your head coach, your play-calling head coach isn't going to be there. One of your longest-tenured, most important linemen um, isn't going to be there. It's it's extremely Browns. Um, these two teams played last week. The Steelers rested a lot of guys, but 
even with that, with Mason Rudolph back at quarterback. And uh, yes, the Browns had some secondary players out as well, but the the Steelers were still able to move the ball through the air. I think that's going to be the case again. Um, I think this game's going to be decently high scoring. Um, but ultimately, I do think the Steelers are able to get it done. If the Steelers are going to have any chance this year at all, it's going to have they're going to have to find some semblance of a running game, uh, whether that's with Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane, James Conner, all three of those guys coming together and just piecing together like 85 yards and a touchdown or two. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, but that Steelers defense is good enough to keep them in a lot of games, but that offense and the running game at times isn't good enough to just win them games. They have one of the most talented receiving cores um, in the NFL, but at times Ben Roethlisberger looks pretty shitty, if I'm being honest with you. So I think with the loss of the head coach, you lose also Olivier Vernon, who is one of, I think, the best-kept secrets in the NFL, playing opposite of Miles Garrett with the Browns. You lose him, and then just a lot of other factors – with Ken Denzel Ward get healthy, can he get back off the COVID list and be impactful enough to maybe shut down one of the receivers? Well, guess what? Then you have two others, either Claypool or Juju or Deontay Johnson. Take your pick out of those three. Don't even forget about James Washington. So you got you take one of those away. You still have three pretty good options. Oh, let's add Eric Ebron in, a great touchdown target for the tight end position. And then Really, if there's any run game for the Steelers, then it's like, well, fuck, how do you defend this? Um, Again, it's a great story for the Browns. Happy that they made it finally after um, 18 years off. But I just think there's going to be too many obstacles for them to climb. And I'm going to take the Steelers over the Browns in that one. We now look at round two of the playoffs. Now I'll be doing it by conference, sticking on one side. The first matchup, the Chiefs and the Ravens. It's going to be played at the Chiefs if this is how it comes out to be. Um, I can see this game being extremely high scoring, but starting off sort of what that Texans-Chiefs game happened last year, where, but flip it. I think that the Chiefs can jump out to a real strong lead. I think Andy Reid having the entire week, um, two weeks really to plan for uh, either of these teams, the Titans and the Ravens, I think that offense of the Chiefs is going to come out firing. And then I think you get into a little bit of trouble with being the case where Lamar Jackson has to come and beat you, not only running the ball but throwing the ball. I could see, though, the Ravens making a bit of a comeback, but ultimately the Chiefs winning that game. If they can get Clyde Edwards-Alaire back um, and that defense plays how it has all season, and the defense to me for the Chiefs is one of the more underrated uh, units in all football, I think they have a lot of good pieces up front. The secondary um, with Tyron Matthew, I think, is pretty good as well. Um, If they can get a bit of a running game with Edwards Alaire and Le'Veon Bell, and if they want to mix in uh, Williams as well, then I think they have a chance to repeat because what was missing last year and they were still able to win was a consistent running game. It was sort of, hey, Patrick Mahomes, bail us out of everything, and he is good enough to do that on a week-to-week basis. And 
I still think he's good enough to do that on a week-to-week basis this year. But I think what is really can set them over the top and just be like, hey, we're the best team in the NFL, but like now we're really the fucking best team in the NFL is if they can find a run game. And I know Alaire is coming off the injury, the ankle injury. If he can come back and just provide a semblance of a running game for them and have just one or two back-breaking runs a game where he gets a big first down or he breaks one and sets them up uh, with a touchdown or a good field position and just extends drives with that, then I think they are going to be set for these playoffs. So I take the Chiefs over the Ravens. Then we have the Steelers and the Bills. I think this game is going to play out a lot like what the first time these teams played. It'll be in Buffalo. I think the defense for the Bills is going to do... Basically what they did that entire first game, able to lock up the Steelers wide receivers, going to be able to put a lot of pressure on Ben, get the ball out of his hands quickly, um, asking him to do just make quick decisions and be able to not give the Steelers receivers enough time um, to get separation and get open. And with the Bills, again, sort of with the Chiefs, if they can find some semblance of a run game with Zach Moss and Singletary, then I think that propels them to being like the 1A um, in this entire playoff picture because I think their defense is good enough and I think obviously with Josh Allen and him being able to spread the ball all around the field uh, with Diggs and Beasley and McKenzie and a couple other guys they have there um, they're a talented team the defense is good enough you just need to find the run game I take the Bills over the Steelers I think the Steelers in that game can maybe make it a little uncomfortable sort of how with the defense with Watt and Hayden and Minkovitz Patrick, they can make it a little uncomfortable, maybe a little bit closer in the first half, but I think the Bills, maybe again like a fumble or an interception that really turned the game the first time they played that big interception in the second quarter. I think in the second half, they get a turnover that really just turns the game and it's sort of that nail in the coffin for the Steelers, and the Bills end up winning it. On the NFC side of the bracket, um, the Packers will be playing the Bucks in Lambeau. I cannot stay in the Packers they were frauds last year and what exposed them last year was a team with a diverse good running game and there just isn't really a team like that in this year's playoffs on the NFC side um the Saints at times with Kermara can be that. Um, the Seahawks aren't really doing anything flashy with their run game. It's sort of we're going to run right at you. Um, the Buccaneers certainly aren't going to do that. Um, I think going to Lambeau as well is going to be a factor with the weather. I, I understand Tom played in Foxborough where it gets cold and everything. He'll be accustomed to that, but... I, Mike Evans, Godwin, Ronald Jones, a couple of their defensive guys. I, It's weird to say that weather and coldness and maybe some snow um, is actually going to impact the game, but I think just traveling, any team traveling from Florida and coming up north to the frozen tundra like Lambeau, it's, it's going to impact the game. And I think... To win in Lambeau, you got to be able to run the ball. Ronald Jones has shown that he can do that, but I think the Packers' defense somehow is doing better against the run this year than they were last year. Uh, Jari Alexander 
has proven he can be a lockdown guy, so he can take Mike Evans or Godwin or Antonio Brown completely out of the game. Um, you have Zadarius Smith, who is going to be able to get after Tom Brady and cause issues for him as well. Um, again, I do not like the Packers one bit, but I think I like the Buccaneers even less, so I'm going to take the Packers to move on. And then you have the Seahawks and the Saints. I, again, I just don't, think that Drew Brees is going to be able to go out and win a game and I think that Russell Wilson and that offense for the Seahawks is going to be clicking they're going to flip a switch they're going to be the Seahawks offense we saw at the beginning of the year um so I'm going to take the Seahawks over the Saints in the second round of the NFC playoffs so it sets up our final four teams the Chiefs and the Bills and the Packers and the Seahawks I'm going to start in the NFC. I'm going to take the Seahawks over the Packers. I don't think really the weather is going to be that big of an issue if the Seahawks are to go to Lambeau. I think they'll be able to run the ball because of having Chris Carson, having uh, Carlos Hyde, two tough running backs. I think that they have enough offensive firepower with Russell Wilson and his mobility to bother the defense. I think even if Jari Alexander is able to limit or slow down DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett, uh, Moore, a lot of other guys are going to be able to step up for the Seahawks. Greg Olson, I think, is going to play a pivotal role at some point in the season, in this in this playoff season, with a few big plays, a big touchdown here or there, moving the chains. Maybe this is that game for him. Um but the Packers, with Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, those three guys can win you a lot of games. But it's going to having asking Lazard, um, Scantling, Tanyan, other guys step up who at times in big moments they have. But I just don't know if in the biggest of moments, like a playoff game, they're going to be able to do that. With Adams, Jones, and Rodgers, I feel fully confident in those three being able to do well enough but I think Jamal Adams in that secondary is going to be able to limit a little bit what Devontae Adams is going to be able to do I think the defense is going to be able to slow down Aaron Jones enough um, and I think the front seven for the Seahawks is going to be able to get after Aaron Rodgers enough to where it'll cause some problems and the Seahawks will be able to get the victory and then in what people really I think might think of as the best game in the playoffs all year if it is to happen. The Chiefs hosting the Buffalo Bills. Um, two great quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I just don't see, again, this tough. Because if one of these teams is able to establish the run and the other one isn't, I'm willing to go back and change this and say, hey, this team is going to win because I, with both of these teams, just getting a competent, complementary run game is going to do so much for what these quarterbacks can do in the passing game that it's going to be ridiculous. I think the Chiefs have a better chance of doing that, adding a bit of a run game to their offense than the Bills do. Just because I think Alaire and Bell are better running backs than Singletary and Moss. I think this game ultimately comes down to maybe who has the ball last. Um, 
high-scoring affair, but I just don't see the Bills' defense making a stop against the Chiefs' offense with all the weapons, with Tyreek Hill, with Sammy Watkins, with Miko Hardman, with Robinson, with Travis Kelsey, with Patrick Mahomes on the ground, which at times he can show he can do. He did it last year in the playoffs against the Titans. It's just so much, and I do think that the secondary for the Chiefs and that front seven can cause enough problems and force Josh Allen into a few bad throws here or there, Tyron Matthew making a play and interception or something like that that really swings the game and gives the Chiefs the win. And then if that if all this happens, if all this goes according to plan, then the Chiefs are going to be playing the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl and... It, I don't think the defensive line for the Seahawks by that point are going to be able to be to make an impact like they had the other few games. I think the Chiefs are going to be getting the ball out of Mahomes' hands quickly, getting it to playmakers like Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey quickly. I think the run game for the Chiefs will be clicking on all cylinders by then. It'll be another high-scoring affair. It'll be close, but I think it'll probably be about a 7-10 to point win for the Chiefs as all that happens. I just think that, and I know, they're the best team in the NFL. I'm not really going out on this big, like, limb here, but they're the number one team in the NFL for a reason. They're they have the best offense in the entire league. They have a extremely underrated defense. They have a coach who has shown last year that hey, he can win close games. He can get his team to rally and come back when they're down like they did in the game against the, the uh Texans last year. It's I just think that they have too many Good things going for them, and if they add that run game, which I, again, I'm stressing that, but you look at teams that have won traditionally in the playoffs, it's good to average defense and a team that can run the ball and win ugly, and the Chiefs, I think, can win ugly, they've won a lot of games um, by one possession or less this year, and I think that both, a lot of people are saying that's not good for the Chiefs, because those games shouldn't have been as close as they were. You could say that. I don't think the Chiefs were ever really stressed out about a game this year. Um, not saying they took teams lightly or anything like that, but I think if the Chiefs really switch it off, turn the switch and say, hey, we're in the playoffs now, we're supposed to be the best team, and Mahomes plays like that, those close games can serve as this... Like building block, like, hey, we've been here before in five or six games this year. We know how to win close. We can win ugly. But when we put everything together, we can handle teams extremely well and not blow them out, but win comfortably. I think it's, again, just another year. Andy Reid, Mahomes, Kelsey, Alaire, if we can get going. Hill and the rest of that team with that defense puts it together and the Chiefs end up winning. We now shift our focus from the NFL to the college football national championship game that is going to, at the moment, at the time of recording this, is going to be taking place on Monday, January 11th. There's been rumors swirling that Ohio State could be down in an entire position group, which at you could say with the threshold that it requires, there has to be at least four people um, at each position group, and a 53-man roster has to be able to be fielded. Um, so apparently, 
According to Ohio State spokespeople, um, the AD, the team continuing to practice, they have every intention to go through and continue to play this game on schedule on Monday, so that is how we're going to handle this for the time being, unless while I'm recording this, things change. Um, You look at Alabama and what they've done so far this year. They've been nothing short of dominant. We look at their last game against Notre Dame in the national semifinal. Mac Jones was, it literally just seemed like he was decent, but even decent for him with how well he's played this year is top-notch for some. 297 yards, four touchdowns. Najee Harris, 15 carries and 125 yards. And then uh, Smith, the wide receiver for them, just Devontae Smith, Seven receptions, 130 yards, three touchdowns. Those three guys right there are three of the best players in the entire country. We saw that last night. One of the reasons I delayed recording this segment for today was to see how the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony turned out. And those three guys were top five in the voting for the Heisman Trophy. I extremely... um, just speaks to how extremely dominant and good this Alabama offense has been this entire year with playmakers like that. There's been reports that maybe Jalen Waddell, who at to me at times, I thought going back last year and at the start of this year, he was better than Devontae Smith. Um, I could still try and make that argument, but I mean... You win the Heisman, the first guy in 20-plus years to win the Heisman that's not a quarterback. Um, Yeah, Uh, for a wide receiver in Devontae Smith, yeah, I think you might be the best player at your position on your team. But I still like Waddell a little bit more personally for my who I'd want on my team, but that's just me. Um, The Alabama defense all year has been gettable. I don't think they face an offense as good as what Ohio State's is going to be. I mean, they give up 48 to Ole Miss. They give up 24 to a Georgia team that at that time had no clue what was going on with their quarterback situation. They give up 46 to Florida in the in the uh, SEC championship game. And then Ohio State, what they have going on on their side, just looking at some of the point totals they've put up, 52 against Nebraska, 49 against Rutgers. We can look at better games against better opponents 42 against indiana they put up only 22 against northwestern in to date which was their best uh team they had played but then in the national semifinal beating clemson they put up 49 points the big story in that game justin fields going for 385 yards six touchdowns took that massive hit the targeting call that that's neither here nor there. It's happened. It's over with. It got called. The person was ejected. You can look to two years last year when Sean Wade was thrown out for another questionable targeting call. Karma coming back around. Whatever you want to call it, it happened. The play was called. The penalty was called. It happened. But after that hit, Justin Fields was still able to stay in the game, complete a lot of passes, two deep downfield shots, one to Chris Olave, one to Jamison Williams, both for touchdowns. And what has been extremely exciting for this Ohio State team and why I think they have a puncher's chance against this Alabama team is the the emergence of Trey Sermon at the running back position. He's 
sort of at the start of the season was, I think, definitely the defined number two back behind Master Teague. But as the season went on, especially starting around the Michigan State game, it really looked like he was the definitive number one back. Like, this is my backfield. He ran extremely hard, broke a couple big runs in the Michigan State game did set the single game rushing record against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game and then had 193 yards and a touchdown on the ground and had a couple big catches, which I think is going to be imperative because I think you need to get the ball out in space and be able to use him. And I think catching the ball is a great way to do that. I think Ohio State is going to need to do a little bit more, have Justin Fields dump it off to him in this National Championship game. For the receiving end for Ohio State, Chris Olave, a great story for him. Seeing him return after running, breaking off his route a little too soon. Justin Fields throwing the interception last year against Clemson. This year against Clemson, six receptions, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. Some other receiving notes for Ohio State. Jamison Williams, three catches for 45 yards. Garrett Wilson only had two catches uh, for 52 yards. I'd like to see him be a little bit more involved because I think he is our most athletic and like freakishly just athletic good guy that Alabama. Ohio State's going to be able to match up with Alabama, I think, with athletes and whatnot, but I think a guy that we can definitely have exploit not exploit, but just use his athleticism and be like, holy shit, this is one of the best athletes on the field at times and can beat Alabama's corners and safeties and coverages. I think Garrett Wilson is the type of guy to do that. What I think actually happens for this game, I think it's going to be extremely high scoring, but I can definitely see if the COVID rumors are true and one of Ohio State's very talented defensive tackles is out, along with Tyreek Smith, number 11 for Ohio State, who had a very good game against Clemson last week. That's going to pose some problems. Ohio State's not going to be able to take away all of what Alabama can do. If they can approach this and make it obvious that they're going to be passing and sort of take away Najee Harris, because I Again, Najee Harris, everything I've seen from him this year, I've been thoroughly impressed on. He's had some great... I'm liking him more and more as a person, and it's going to be really hard to root against him uh, for this game because of how well he's just carried himself in the media this week with the interviews and the press conferences he's held. I love the way he's answered. I'll be rooting for him after this game when he goes to the NFL, but this game, Ohio State's got to find a way to take away one of the skilled players for Alabama. If they get Waddell back, then it's that's fucked. It's really difficult to be able to defend against three of those guys. But if they can take away or limit what Devontae Smith is able to do or, or Najee Harris, one of those two, and I think it's more likely that it's Najee Harris, then I think Ohio State has a decent chance to win. But I don't foresee Justin Fields struggling in this game. I do, it's hard to ask for have him to throw another six-touchdown game. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Ohio State uses the tight ends like they did against Alabama like they did last week against Clemson because that really provided some stability and kept guys on Clemson's uh, defense on their heels a little bit. Uh, Ohio State has the talent to stay with Alabama, and it'll be interesting to see the little wrinkles that Ryan Day implores like he did last week against Clemson, the huddling up, breaking it real quick, um, going to tempo at times to keep Brent Venables and the Clemson defense 
um, on their heels and not really ready when the ball was snapped and the play was called. It's going to be super interesting. I could see it being how the semifinal game for Ohio State and Clemson went where maybe Alabama jumps out to a decent size lead um, at halftime and then Ohio State comes back and has it in like a 10-point, 7-point, 6-point type style game. But then it's hard for me to see Alabama not winning this game. I could see Alabama converting a third down that's just like a backbreaker for Ohio State and then all the momentum or anything that Ohio State might have going for them just and the wind gets sucked out of Ohio State and the sideline and the players, and then I think it's just over. I think Alabama wins. I don't think they cover the, well, at the moment I'm recording this, I have it at 8. I don't know if they cover the 8. If it goes down to 7.5 or 7, then I think they could. But And I don't want to say this is a down year for Ohio State by any means. The hoops they've jumped through with COVID and at the start of the year, the Big Ten Conference canceling the season – And to see where they've ended up now in the national championship game, beating Clemson, dominating Clemson, a team they regularly compete with on the recruiting trail, on the field, back-to-back years in the national semifinals, Uh, it's a good season. And Ryan Day continues to improve um, his production on the field. He loses in the national semifinal. He beats Clemson in the national semifinal in his second year. This year, he makes it obviously national championship, loses if this prediction's right, he loses. It's sooner or later he's going to break through. Um, the talent is not going to drop off or suffer in the coming years. You could say it might even rise up and continue to get better with all the talent that Ohio State has coming in. But right now, I just think Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Nadja Harris, and enough playmakers on defense to make plays at times for Alabama is what's unfortunately, as an Ohio State fan going to seal the deal for Alabama and get them the national title. I know I'm supposed to make a pick for this game, so I officially give out 48-41 Alabama. Um, That should cover your over, and that should cash your Ohio State 8-point dog uh, tickets as well. Now that we have the national championship game talked about, we can get into the mail sack. The first mail side question comes from Jack Muldoon who asks, Buckeye game prediction breakdown. Jack, please listen to the previous couple minutes. Um, those should suffice. He also asks um, about UK. Thoughts on where the, they end up? Is there potential things or a turnaround? Uh, Kentucky's 2-0 in the new season in SEC play. Don't look now, but don't let Cal and these cats get hot. Um... It all started with Deontay Allen coming on in the game down to Mississippi State, finally getting some playing time, making 7-11 three-pointers, scoring 23 points on the game, played a decent amount last night, had a few mistakes that I think in any other circumstances, Cal would have pulled him and not let him see the rest of the court the rest of the game. But I think uh, Allen's shot-making ability – and just what he has meant, I think, to the fans and this team providing that spark. Cal was in a real tough spot to not play him after a few of those mistakes. Um, you look at Askew, how he's sort of turned around in the last couple games. You look at what Mintz and Toppin are able to do. Mintz hitting the go-ahead winning basket last night, the three-pointer. 
You look at Toppin, who provides um, sparks off the bench and plays extremely hard. You look at Lance Ware. You have you have a group of guys that are just producing. And no, it's not the names like Clark and Boston that all Kentucky fans thought were going to be the carriers of this team. Um, but I think if those guys can just form some semblance of what Kentucky fans thought they were going to get in this the not the lesser knowns, but I guess you could say the secondary guys like Askew, like Sar, who at times I mean last night he had twenty plus points, like Toppin, like Mintz, and I mean Allen. And I'm still holding out for Cameron Fletcher. I still think he can be a valuable defensive um intensity energy guy off the bench for this team. If the stars can play somehow like they're supposed to and Kentucky can get help from the core that they've already shown that they sort of can these last couple games for Kentucky then I think there is a chance maybe they make a splash in the SEC regular season play make a splash in the SEC tournament and find their way into March and then when March happens I mean shit anything can happen our next question comes from Paul Marino, who asks, Will we see Goof this week? How will he do? Number one, Paul Marino thinks Jared's golf. Calling him Jared Goof is funny. I thought it was funny like the first four or five times I heard it. She has continuously run it into the ground since Sunday. Um, I'm getting real fucking sick of it, Polly. Please stop. To answer your question, Sean McVay today... Um, made it known that he is not going to name a starter for the upcoming playoff game that the Rams have against the Seahawks on, I think it's Sunday. Yeah, no, it's Saturday. Excuse me. How will he do? I think he'll do fine. I don't think he's going to go out and set the world on fire in this start. you got to remember he just had surgery no less than two weeks ago on his thumb and his hand. I mean, that's hard to ask anybody to come in and, like, light it up and put a ton of points on the board. I think you'll get a very typical Jared Goff game if he does end up playing for the Rams this week. Our next question comes from uh, Christina Barone, who asks, Mila Kunis, Sofia Vergara, Jennifer Lopez, Miranda Kerr, Jessica Bale. Rank the MILFs. To get things started off on this question, one, I rank Miranda Kerr last, just because before I just had to look her up, I had no clue who she was at all. To continue on with this, this next ranking is probably going to surprise a few people, but I have Jennifer Lopez as the one, two, three, four, five, the four spot. I understand she has some junk in the trunk. Um, I understand she's married to A-Rod. She's an extremely talented actor and artist as well but I just it's not it's not a no from me but I enjoy the looks and work of these other women a little bit more um after that then I have Jessica Biel I like a lot about Jessica Biel I've been a steadfast supporter and fan of Jessica Biel going all the way back to my argument days of Jessica Biel versus Jessica Alba Jessica Biel is the better um, more attractive woman in that argument, and so she finds herself third on this list. Second, I have Sofia Vergara. Um, love her work on Modern Family. Love her work on Entourage in the Medellin episodes. Love that she went to PWG, a little wrestling company in California, back in the day when it was popping off. So her and I could go to a multitude of those things. And then number one, 
not strictly because of her role in forgetting Sarah Marshall, and not strictly for her role um, as Jackie Burkhart either in that 70s show, but Mila Kunis, I just enjoy her as a person. I think we would vibe and get along with. I feel like all these other women, I feel if we were to go on a date, um, I'd be extremely nervous. I'd still be extremely extremely nervous for Mila Kunis, but I feel like she would uh, put me at ease very quickly, make it make me not as on edge and everything. More a person, Mila Kunis, that I could, uh, she feels just as comfortable at a ball game with the beer, with a beer, or at home with a glass of Chardonnay in Netflix, or on the red carpet um, in designer with me um, in tow as the paparazzi takes pictures. So that is my ranking. It goes Kerr, Lopez, Beal, Vegara, Kunis. The next question comes from Connor Barnes, who asks, if the Ravens lose Sunday, do they need to consider moving away from the Lamar-based offensive scheme? If the Ravens do lose Sunday, I don't think it, I don't think it can all go on Lamar. I, the defense, obviously, is probably going to be in question because they're probably going to have to give up a lot of points because I do see the Ravens scoring a lot of points. And if you go, and if you want to say... The Ravens need to move on from the Lamar-based offensive scheme. Well, then, I don't think Lamar is going to be capable to run any other type of offensive scheme. So that would mean moving on from Lamar. And I don't think an organization can justify moving on from an MVP um, caliber player just two years after he wins that MVP. He's still young. He can still develop and grow and better his passing. And this is all just if they lose. I don't think they're going to lose, but I don't think there's a way to justify doing any of that and moving on from that type of system and scheme because I don't think Lamar is going to be one of those guys like, hey, let's run the spread. Let's run the West Coast. Let's run all these other things because Lamar has deficiencies in passing that this offensive scheme does cover up. But the passing that Lamar does do and does well enough and like he's capable of big plays, that's sort of all set up because of the run and ground attack that the Ravens have implemented for this Lamar scheme. And it you're not going to move on from Lamar Jackson. You have to run this style of offense, I think, for him to be successful in the NFL. So it's really... A, Catch 22. You're not going to get rid of Lamar. You're not going to run this other system. And I do think Lamar and this team is good enough to win a Super Bowl, honestly, with this type of offensive system. So I don't think they move on from this. Our next question, it wasn't even a question. It was more of a demand. It was, tell me a joke from Trent Revelette. And then he specifies that one from your family party. If any of my family members listen to this or anybody that knows how this joke goes, um, I'm going to... Probably say some things incorrectly, but you're going to get the gist of it, so just bear with me. So, this guy goes into this whorehouse, this brothel, and the prices aren't listed up top or anything, so he goes up to pretty much the first woman that he sees, and he asks her, so, like, how much is, like, just a girl for the night? And the brothel worker, or or whatever you want to call her, I'm going to call her the brothel worker, brothel worker she says yeah a girl for the night that's gonna cost two hundred dollars 
and the guy says, oh man, like, I, I don't know if I have that much money. And then he asks, um, how much is it just for like an hour with a, with a woman? And the brothel worker says, oh, that's going to be about a hundred dollars. And the man goes, oh man, I, I don't have that much money either. And then the man asks the woman, so how much is just like a blowjob? How much does that do? And the woman says, well, that's, that's going to be $50. And then the guy says, oh man, I don't have that. And so the woman asks the guy, how much, how much do you have? And the guy says, well, oh, I only have 15 bucks. And so the brothel worker says to him, well, for that, you can go and just jerk yourself off outside in the alleyway next to the brothel. The guy looks all dejected and he leaves about 10 minutes pass or so. And the guy walks back into the brothel and says, who do I pay? I, it's a Karis family thing. I enjoy the joke. My Aunt Christy can never get the punchline right. Who do I pay? All that. Um, if you liked it, cool. If you didn't, that's fine. Our next question comes from Emily Casey, who asked, do you say soda, pop, or Coke? I say soda. Um, I don't, like, I don't think I'm better than the people that say pop. I think I'm a little bit better than the people that say Coke, because if you're saying Coke... Hey, can you grab me a Coke? That means, hey, I'm going to go get you a Coke, not I'm going to go get you a Sprite or a Dr. Pepper or a Mountain Dew or something. Coke is a specific type of soda or pop. It is not a, a uh, what's it called? An umbrella statement that you can make when you just want any type of soda or pop. Our next question comes from Casey Fisher, who asks, Was Trevor Lawrence robbed of the Heisman? I wanted him to win. John said a receiver deserved it. Um, Yeah, the receiver definitely deserved it. Uh, Devontae Smith, he was the best player in all of college football. You look at Trevor Lawrence's numbers, I understand he missed two games because of COVID, was still only putting up 24 touchdowns through the air this year. Um, Mac Jones, 36 touchdowns, I believe, on the air, um, through the air. Trevor Lawrence finished second. He won the fan vote, which I think is just more like Clemson fans rigging the election, and that's oh, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories about all that. Let me backtrack a little bit. But no, the right guy won. Devontae Smith was the best player in college football for the majority of the year, so ultimately, yes. Devontae Smith should have won, and Trevor Lawrence should not have. And now... Trevor Lawrence gets to go to Jacksonville and enjoy a tax-free living. So that's pretty good for him. Our next question comes from Brandon Blazer. asks, which NBA rookie will have the brightest future in the league? James Wiseman has looked pretty impressive so far for the Golden State Warriors. Um, You can look at LaMelo Ball. He's going to be extremely, obviously, controversial just because of how what his dad is probably going to say about him going forward but I think he's done pretty well so far this year I'm going to say one of those two guys I think Wiseman just because he has the physical tools a little bit maybe more than LaMelo um Wiseman though at the time right now how the league is going big men like him aren't they're not extinct because it is important to have big men but it would help if Wiseman could develop a bit of a shot and make defenses be able to spread it out, open things up, and honor and have to defend him when he's out near the perimeter or not down low. But I think Wiseman has the capability, and he's still super young to be able to do that. So 
I'm going to say James Wiseman. Our next set of questions comes from uh, Zach Berger. Who asks, any New Year's resolutions? Number one, I'd like to read a book a month. I've already started that and finished my January book. It was called Paper Tiger by Tom Coyne. I could not recommend that enough. If you fancy yourself a golfer, there is a thread on Twitter that you can find me at. It's at Carson Karras, K-E-H-R-E-S, all together, no spaces, um, that I will be detailing every book that I've read. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this book, the Paper Tiger one. I started it in late December. I finished it already. I finished it two days ago, so the fourth took me like a week and a half to read. Started it, couldn't put it down. Basically, it's all about this guy who is a decent golf player, um, lowish handicap, and he takes just an entire year off to work on his body, work on his golf game, gets it all the way down to where he's a zero handicap and is trying to make the PJ Tour through Q schools, the Latin America Tour. He tries to do the Canadian Tour. He tries to do the Nationwide Tour. He tries to do all these different avenues, and it's an extremely cool concept to me that as often as I play golf and as good as I think I'm supposed to be, I think this book really illustrates that the guys that play on the PGA Tour, just how really fucking good they are and how good even the lower levels like the Nationwide or the Corn Ferry and all these other smaller tours, how good those guys actually really are because as cool as it would be to take a year off and be able to pursue a golfing career the funds it takes, the dedication it takes, and the skill that it actually takes. Um, I certainly, after reading this book, don't think I have any fucking chance whatsoever to do any of that. Some more um, New Year's resolutions. Always nice to maybe shed a few pounds. Uh, maybe I need to train with you and Ben uh, for the next mini, whenever that might happen. Um, that's really just about... It, those two right there, I'm sure I've got a few others that like don't really mean a ton that I'm forgetting, but those two I think, oh, this little, this is another big one, and it's not little, and this might be oversharing, because Burger, you asked about this, and I don't think you meant for me to do this, but I'd like to get back into regular therapy, I think, and this, let me take a little sidebar here, I think therapy, at one point I was in it in my life when I was in college, going through a hard time, and I think certain circumstances in my life were pushing me and saying, hey, maybe we should go back there, um, I think therapy is a wonderful thing, I think having the ability and the outlet to talk to someone and then provide constructive help and give you tools and resources and ways to help better yourself. Um, I don't think anyone should feel ashamed about looking into therapy, going out and trying to find someone and ways to help yourself. So I think I'm going to try and do that. I'd like to do that. I think if you are struggling with anything, one, I don't know if you feel comfortable enough reaching out to me. I mean, you're in an hour and five minutes of this podcast while this is going. I would hope that you feel somewhat comfortable enough with me that, hey, if there were things going on with you, not you specifically, Burger, but just anyone listening, that you could reach out, text me, DM me on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, any of those things, please feel free. And if you don't 
feel cool enough with me to do that, that's totally fine. I get that. Or if you just don't want to, people don't like opening it up sometimes. Go out of your way if you feel like you're having troubles and issues and want to better yourself in a way. I think therapy and finding someone to do that is a great help. Now that I'm off my soapbox about that, uh, ASAP Berg also asks, should the NFL reschedule the Browns game with most of their coaches out with COVID? The NFL does not have any sympathy for the Browns. They've been forced the last pretty much month of the season to deal with pretty much a COVID outbreak within their organization, in their facilities. Each week, different position groups and different coaches have been affected. This week, Kevin Stefanski, um, the offensive line, one of our offensive linemen, a guard, and uh, Hodge, one of our receivers, is out. It's... It's like again, it's just so Browns that they're going to have to do this first playoff game in 18 years without their head coach, without one of the longest tenured players on this Browns team, the one that has gone through one win season, zero win seasons. But so be it. I don't believe they're going to uh, reschedule it. And again, so be it. It's so Browns, but they might, if they're going to play in the game, they might as well win it. <laughs> And then our last question on the sack comes from Trent's girlfriend, Bailey Lehman, who asks, Abigail or MJ, which do you choose? She is referring to The Bachelor, episode one. At this very moment, Abigail has captured the hearts of all of Bachelor Nation. Um, um, uh, Abigail, excuse me, is deaf in one of her ears, and she, that doesn't define her, I'd like to specifically note that, but um, that was a big thing that I think is helping her with, not sympathy, but just how courageous and open she is about all of that, and I think that's very refreshing to see, and a lot of the people that watch The Bachelor enjoy that. Um, Matt James, The Bachelor this season he gave her the first impression rose if anybody has seen any season of the bachelor or bachelorette they know that that first impression rose is oh so important because that almost it's not really like a buy into like the final eight but that person is on the top of everybody's radar for the entire season as long as they're there because that is such a big important thing mj on the other hand, she did get a rose as well. MJ is a hairstylist. I love her hair. She's from Ohio. She's a graduate of Ohio State. So that's a big thing for me as well. At this very moment, I'm going to go with Abigail. But MJ, if things don't work out with Matt James, please feel free to reach out. Get a hold of me. I'm available. And I would love to further discuss maybe what you and I could become in the future. And also, Anna. Um... She's cool as shit. She she was one of the first girls that got to introduce herself um, before they all got to the house. She's cool as shit. Um, and Kit, Kit is going to get a lot of shit this season, but I'm in her corner. Those four right there are really who I am backing the most this season. But to answer your original question, Bailey, I go with Abigail right now over MJ in this very moment. Now that the mail sack is wrapped up, we shift our focus once again to talk about the NBA. I am once again joined by Ryan Moore, who's been on this podcast before. If you've listened to any of those, you know how this works. We're going to go back and forth and discuss 
um, our one through eight seeds in each conference, talk about some predictions we have for who are going to win the NBA awards as well. And so, once again, joined by Ron Moore. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Carson? Pretty good. Happy to be here. Um, if you just want to get right into this, we can. I'll let you go first. Do you want to start in the West or the East? Let's do the East. Okay, go ahead and tell me. Start with the eight or start with the one? Let's let's go reverse order. We'll start with the eight, okay. and since they could be doing the playing game again, give us who that matchup is going to be or who you think could be that eight seed. Okay, so for the playing game, if they do do it, I'll do the Magic or the Hawks. Okay. And my eight seed I have, and this is very, like, recency bias why I have this. I have the Knicks and the Hawks. Um, I don't know if the Knicks are going to hold on this entire year playing as well as they are now. Um, the emergence of Julius Randle so far this year has been a delight to mm-hmm. watch as Kentucky fans. Um and then the Hawks as well. I think Trey Young is inching closer and closer um, year by year to an MVP, but I don't think it's this year specifically. Um, talk about your matchup between the Magic well, and the Well, I'll say the Knicks are killing it right now, but the thing is I don't know if they'll do it the entire season. So I didn't have them there, but I'll probably have them at the, like, the 10 or 11 range maybe. But the Magic and Hawks, uh, Fultz just came down with a torn ACL, so he's out for the year. So I guess that means Cole Anthony, the rookie out of North Carolina, needs to step up to be the starting point guard. And then the Hawks, I just think that I mean they're they're deep. They have they added a like a lot of good players to their roster this off season. And uh, I just think that there's seven more teams that are better than both of them though. Okay, then who do you have at your seven? I have the Raptors. Uh, not entirely impressed with what they're doing right now, roster-wise and game-style-wise. Uh, I think Pascal and Kyle Lowry are getting buckets, but I think they need to step it up like even more in order for them to make the playoffs. Because right now, I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the East right now, but... I mean, surely they're the Raptors. They have Nick Nurse as their head coach, so I think they step it up and they get around like the seven, six, six range. Okay. On my breakdown, I have I have Magic slash Raptors. The reason I have the Magic here is I still think Aaron Gordon for them has came into the league as just really this project athletic guy, good dunker, and then. He's added a shot to his game. I think they can lean on him and he can, I guess, carry them sort of to a seven seed. Um, Cole Anthony, that is, like you just mentioned, a huge question mark for them. I was a fan of his when he was at North Carolina. Um, He had his issues there. It'll be interesting to see if he can develop and get better and be just a competent point guard that they need since Fultz is out. Um, But again, with the Raptors, how you just said, I don't think Nick Nurse is going to allow this team to continue the slide they're on. It's early. They're not playing in Toronto either, right? No. Uh, I forget where. They had to relocate for COVID stuff. I don't... Obviously, there's no fans. I think maybe you could say a new city, a shortened like off season, a little bit for them. Just a lot of other factors that bring it in. Maybe that's why they're off to their sluggish start. So after 
for my seven, I'm going to officially lock in the Raptors. I think there's too much talent with Lowry and uh, Siakam and Nick Nurse as well at the head coaching position. So I'm going to officially – the Magic are out. Out completely of the playoffs? Magic are going to be fighting for that eight spot, but I'm still going to have the Knicks and the Hawks play each other. Okay. And the, the Magic are out. Okay. So you're six seed, Ryan, in the East. Uh, the Pacers. They're off to a hot start right now. I think they could probably do better than the six, but – when I'm looking at the, when I predict these playoffs, I look at the roster, how deep they are, the talent, and I think there's just more talent and deep deeper rosters than the Pacers. But I have the Pacers at the sixth seed. They just got Victor Oladipo back. Sabonis, uh, Demonis Sabonis is killing it right now. Uh, they need more production from Miles Turner, but other than that, they have a pretty solid roster. I am right there with you on the sixth seed with the Pacers. I had them initially a little bit higher, and then I had like. Just had to keep thinking of teams that were in the East and like looked at the standings already and I was like, well, they're not better than this team. They're not better than this team. So I had to put them at six. Um, I'm actually surprised Oladipo is still there. Um, yeah, I, I thought he would request the trade. And yeah. so maybe if they're if they stay how they're doing now, obviously you hold on to them, but maybe a contender call, comes calling at the trade deadline. Maybe a piece that get, a team that needs a piece to get over the hump and they move on from him then um, if things turn south. But at the moment, yes, um, the Sixers, not the Sixers, the Pacers seem uh, pretty well positioned to make the playoffs and at least be the sixth seed um, for your fifth seed in the East. So this is the uh, runner-up from last year, the Miami Heat. They were the five seed last year, and I think they'll be the five seed again. Uh, I just see four teams in the East that are more talented, in my opinion. Okay. I have the 76ers. Another year of the process, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. I was real sick late in last year, last year's season hearing about how those two don't gel together, those two don't mix. They're at times, yes, that is true, but I think overall for the organization and how that team needs to continue to get better and grow, those two can be integral, important parts of that whole like culture change and everything like that. Um, again, they have Tobias Harris. I could not give a shit about Tobias Harris. <laughs> He's he is, hell of a year he right is now. so overpaid. <laughs> um, it is ridiculous, but he, as you just mentioned, he has having a good start to the year. He's finally earning some of the money that he's being paid. But again, Tobias will probably go back to how he usually plays, get a solid 16, 17 points per game here or there, and then not terrible, oh, not terrible but not worth what <laughs> he's getting paid. Um, I'll go more into depth with the 76 years whenever I say where I have him, but... Uh... For my four seed, I have the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. What about you? My four seed is the Heat. Um, okay, so we kind of have them. I they're the same, basically the same team from last year that went to the finals. Um, Jimmy yeah. Butler is. They added Avery Bradley, and that's about it. I can. That's all I can think yeah. of. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see if that was just a good team that made a great run or that was those pieces were a great team that made a good run 
if that makes sense at all, where Spolcher mm-hmm. got the most out of them in that specific scenario for that period of time in the bubble, or if this could be a prolonged, successful thing. Um, so I have the Heat there. I had the Nets at four. I originally had them like at like two, and then the past week or so, I feel like Kevin Durant and Kyrie have been just missing a few games. Either they're uh, sitting out due to COVID issues or if they're sitting out for, like, minor tweaks in, like, the ankle or the knee. So I think injuries like that are just going to set them back where they're, like, day-to-day. So I originally had them at two, but I moved them down to four because I've seen they're kind of struggling with injuries right now. Okay. So at three, I got the 76ers. I think what they added around Ben Simmons and Joel this offseason is exactly what they needed. They added shooting with Seth Curry. Uh, I forget who else they added besides him. They got Tyrese Maxey that slipped to him at draft pick 21. Um, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's playing like an MVP right now. He's playing pretty well. They got the number one record, 7-1 in the East right now. and I think they keep it up. I think what they added around Ben Simmons, the shooting, is what is really going to boost them up from last season. Speaking on Seth Curry, because I think this is a huge addition for them, and I was going to make the point when we go to the West and we talk about the Mavericks, but I can make it now. Seth Curry is averaging 17 points per game right now, and on an NBA best, 79.6% from the field, and he's shooting 59% from three-point um, pre-warning. Pretty nice. It's what he brought to the Mavericks as a guy off, a ben- off the bench last year, um, I thought was very impressive. He knew his role. He played it well. Come in, hit some threes, play some solid defense. Now you see that his role is expanding a little bit. He's ready for the opportunity. So I'm extremely excited for Seth to kind of take a step out of Steph's shadow a little bit and get a bigger opportunity with the 76ers. Um, So you had the 76ers at three. I had the Nets at three. I think with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, those two guys can take you pretty far in the season and in the playoffs. Um, I don't. I think maybe this is where Kevin Durant's out right now, and it's all with the COVID tracing, like the close contacts. Allow me to spin a little conspiracy here. I don't even think he even came in contact with somebody. I bet you it's probably just a tweak or something like you brought up. And maybe Steve Natch doesn't want to lead on how maybe not serious, but just say maybe he's dealing with some injuries. Um, but those two, and then you have uh, Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert. is having a great year. He had um, a great year last year until he broke his ankle or whatever happened to him. Real excited about him. They do lose Dimwitty yeah, uh, out for the year, but I still think they have enough pieces. Um, Harris, LeVert, guys around them that can be contributors and maybe take a little bit of the burden off of Steph and KD and make plays when they need to. And then Steve Nash, I I don't know if he's going to be a guy that is going to be like is going to go and coach and win you a game, but I don't think he's going to go and lose you a game with like poor like substitutions or clock management with timeouts or things like that. So it'll be interesting to see when things start to ramp up later in the year how he earns his coaching stripes and the decisions he makes with rotations and things like that. Who do you have at your two in the East? I have the Boston Celtics. 
Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are once again emerging as superstars in the league, and they're a dynamic duo. They don't even have Kemba right now, and they're still playing pretty well. Um, whenever Kemba becomes back, that'll be nice. Uh, the rookie, Peyton Pritchard, is stepping up, the white boy. Yeah, he fits he's, right he's, in in Boston. He's fitting right in. And uh, <laughs> they added Tristan Thompson, which is pretty – I mean, he doesn't put put up, like, crazy numbers or anything, but I think he's a guy that can just go get your rebounds and blocks, and I feel like that's something that the Celtics needed this offseason. I mean, their best big is uh, Daniel Tice. Got rid of uh, Enos Kanner. White boy. Fits right in in Boston. That Tice <laughs> yeah, guy. With the hella tats. But, uh, and I, I don't know, I just like their roster up and down. And, I mean, Brad Stevens is one of the best in the league. I'm, okay, so the Bucks are my number two. And hearing your argument and me trying in my head to play the devil's advocate, it makes me want to put the Bucks at number one and the Celtics back. I get Jason Tatum is still extremely young. I get Jalen Brown is still extremely young. Brad Stevens has been there for quite... He's been there a while, right? Yeah. And the furthest he's taken them is the Eastern Conference Finals. They've had Tatum for three... This is their fourth year? 2017. So, that was the Fox year. Okay. So, yeah, he was drafted so, in 17. And I 100% understand that it's early and maybe this is me, like, thinking these guys were so much better. But there's got to be a time when... This great coach and Brad Stevens and these two young, like, super Tatum superstar Jalen Brown. I don't know if you want to put him at superstar level. but I think ext- he's exceeding his expectations when he came into the league. A- extremely good player need to finally deliver on that. It was real upsetting when they had a chance a couple years ago against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Championship. They had an opportunity where I thought they could have at least made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Um, against, they did, but they lose to the Heat. So, I need to see some production from them. They're my number one team, and like I said, the Bucks are my number two. So I'll shift to them a little bit. Yeah, my Bucks are my number one, obviously. Um, Giannis, obviously, I think losing to the Heat last year is going to just reset and like fire him up and give him more drive and determination. Not that he needed that. But I think he's going to just, like, really come with a new, like, inspired drive this year. They add Drew Holiday as Which well. Who, I, I love Drew Holiday. His defense and, and his offense is exactly what the Bucks needed. And then they still have Middleton. Mm-hmm, and he's, he's killing it. So, but my issue is who then... Who else steps up? Yeah. See that's a, that's tough because I don't I don't really know I guess the the Divincenzo yeah. guy or whatever Divin, if Dante Divincenzo is your fourth best player, it's hard for me to say like maybe Brook Lopez, which he's not even the best Lopez, he <laughs> is but <laughs> he is, <laughs> but Robin's the cooler Lopez right. It's hard to envision this team on just the back of those three guys where you say. Dante DiVincenzo is your fourth best player to go and ultimately make a run in the playoffs into the finals. But Giannis is that type of talent where he can mask those sort of things. But and I think another reason is why they're so good in the East is just their defense. Now they added one of the best def- guard defenders, perimeter de- uh, defenders in the league, Drew Holiday. 
And I think it makes them even more scary. So that is going to do it for the eastern side. So, Ryan, go ahead and go backwards. Just recap, just list the teams okay. that you have from 8 to 1. Okay, so at 8, you got the Magic or the Hawks if they do the playing game. If they don't do a playing game, then I'll probably just do the Magic. 7, Raptors. 6, Pacers. 5, Heat. 4, Nets. 3, 76ers. 2, Celtics. 1, Bucks. Okay, and then the playing game, I have the Knicks and the Hawks. The 7, I have the Raptors. 6, I have the Pacers. 5th, I have the 76ers. 4th, the Miami Heat. 3rd, the Nets. 2, the Milwaukee Bucks. And number 1 in the East, the Boston Celtics. We took care of the East. Now we go and look at the Western Conference. Ryan, once again, why don't you start with your playing game, those two teams that you think are going to be fighting for the 8th seed. So this conference is more difficult for me because there's just... A lot of talent and loaded teams up and down. But for the eight, I'm going to go Suns or the Pelicans. Okay. I like the Suns. I like what they added with CP3. I mean, they did go 8-0 and in the bubble, and they start, they're start they starting off 7-1 or 7-2 and right now, I believe. But I just feel like the rest of the roster outside of those three guys, Aiden, Booker, and uh, CP3, aren't as good as or deep as the rest of the team's. In the West, in my opinion, uh, but they do make. I think they do make the playoffs. I think. I mean, I think they're deeper and more talented than the Pelicans right now, and at least more experienced. So I would probably have the Suns at eight. I have fallen as a prisoner of the moment with the Suns, and that is going to reflect in how high I have ranked them <laughs> when it gets to them. Um, my eight, my two eight seeds for the play-in. Um, I have the Rockets and the Warriors. I think James Harden, if he does stay there, which obviously nobody really knows, but if I, I think if he stays there, he himself, John Wall, um, Cousins, Christian Wood. who yeah, he's having a great year. I had no idea who Christian Wood was until like all the free agency stuff started happening. And apparently he got like a deal and he's, this isn't what happened like officially happened but he saw what he got he saw everybody else was getting like way more money and then he told his agent go get me more money from the Rockets and they got it he's got I think the last three or four games or whatever he's 20 plus points yeah he's surprisingly good and then they've also added they're calling him a rookie he's not a rookie Jay Sean Tate from Ohio State a do-it-all hustle guy (laughs) that is um it's he's garnered notoriety because that's who James Harden allegedly threw the ball at in practice at his head. Um, probably because Jay Sean was playing like the bulldog he is in practice and probably pissed James off, but whatever. Um, so the Rockets are the team that's going to make it. And I have them playing the Warriors for the playing game. Um, that's not, that's not a sentence I would say a few years ago. Super high <laughs> on the Warriors last year. There's, they still, I think, that team last year has a chance to be really good. I think if they ran it back, the pieces this year could really, from that year, could figure it out. Um, we already saw Steph Curry score 62 points in a game this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I Steph, Steph could do that every night, 
I was going to say, like, he can't. He physically can. Like, he won't. He won't, but... He I could. Mean, I think he definitely could. If it was like, Steph, you need to go score 62 points, he could. Like, once a month, maybe. But he won't <laughs> be able to do that. And so, that's why I have them at such the eight seed. Because, I mean, you miss Clay. Draymond is not what he once was. Kelly Oubre sucks right now, but he can't be this bad, like, going... Like, he can't be this bad for long. And Wiggins is going to Wiggins. Wiggins will have he'll pop up and have like a, a stretch of good games and people will believe in him and then he'll go back. Um, the big thing I'm excited about for the Warriors and this team, Wiseman. Uh, yeah, Wiseman. Yeah, he's freakishly tall. He's so athletic. Just beginning to scratch the surface with like his potential and his ability. So it'll be exciting to see. I think he can play a pivotal role to get them into this playing game, but. I ultimately think the Rockets beat them. Who do you have as your seventh seed in the West? I have the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. I like their roster up and down. I mean, they brought back Enos Kanter off the bench, will be which will be nice. They added Robert Covington, which is more shooting than they already had with Dame and CJ and Melo. So I think they added a couple of nice little pieces to their to the roster. I don't know if Zach Collins is making an appearance back. But with a fully healthy Trailblazers team, I think they could be around six or seven. But I have them at seven. You are a big fan of who's the guy they bring off the bench? Uh, Gary Trent Jr. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You're big. I've big fan of him. Yes. He's, he's not having that great of a year, but his come out party was in the bubble. So we'll see if uh, that comes out in the playoffs again. And then, what is their big man that was out? Nurkic, of- which Nurkic. I I love. I, I the big Bosnian beast. I like him a lot. He and I, when I let my hair grow out, have pretty similar hair. I've noticed <laughs> that. I enjoy that. Um, he did decently well in the bubble when he did play. And he was coming off a big injury, too. Mm-hmm. So now that he's, like, fully healthy, I think this Trailblazers team, I mean, I have them at seven, but I think mm-hmm. they, could, they could do better than that. So my seventh seed is the Mavericks. Um, Dang. You have them that low? Yeah. I... The, the departure of Seth Curry? Seth Curry, yes. And then you also... Lucas struggled so far this year. That's not... I don't think that's going to be indicative of how he's going to play all year. He's obviously going to turn it around at some point and come into what people are expecting, MVP form. But the injury concerns and just with Porzingis as his running mate, that Porzingis really can't stay healthy long enough or those two together, they're good, but they don't play enough like meaningful games together, in my opinion, to where like, because Porzingis is always dealing with something, it seems like. Yeah, I think he's coming back like next week or yeah. the week after. And I w- it wouldn't surprise me to see him miss more time this year and where it really becomes like Luca has to do a ton of it by himself because that the second score on that is Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, he's a good player. Tim or uh, Josh Richardson, I guess, maybe. Both good players, but I don't think guys that... If Luca's having this terribly off night, which his off nights are still better than a lot of people's good nights, right. but... Yeah, Tim Hardaway and then Josh Richardson. Yeah, so I just don't think those two guys, if called upon where they needed to step up, they can do it over a few games, I feel like, 
but not consistently enough. So I think I have that's why I have the Mavericks at the seven. And then you had the Trailblazers the trail there. Yeah. My six seed, I have the Trailblazers for a lot of the reasons you said. They bring in some good pieces with um, Covington, they bring back Cantor. A lot of the a lot of these pieces that are they already have there, like obviously Dame, McCollum, uh, Collins, Mello, Nurkic, or whatever you say. Nurkic. Last, yeah. yeah. Those guys have already been there, and, like, we've seen what that is. Like, we saw them lose to the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals two years ago. We see them. They didn't get swept. They got gentlemen swept, or did they get swept by the Lakers mm-hmm. last year? Uh, they won game one. Okay, yeah. So they get gentlemen swept last year. Like, I'm not saying blow it up by any means, but we've seen what that already sort of does, and I think we're going to see sort of the same if they do end up in the playoffs again where a lot of hype, a lot of good players, but just run up against a better team in the playoffs, and they do end up losing. So who, like I said, I had the Trailblazers at six. Who did you have at six? I have the Rockets. You had them at eight. I have them at six. Uh, There's a lot of drama with uh, Harden going on, but I fully believe that he'll probably stay at Houston. I don't think they'll trade him. I think they'll kind of just keep him a little bit captive, kind of like what Anthony Davis did uh, that year, the last year he was a Pelican. Uh, just keep him there for one more year, and then he'll probably get traded in the off season. But I like what they put around Harden. I like the additions of John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and Christian Wood, like we were talking about earlier, which is having a great year, maybe the mo- most improved player of the year. But uh, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, if they can stay healthy around James Harden, I think that it could be pretty scary, but I don't think they make it too, too far. Okay, so that is your sixth seed. Who is your five seed in the West, Ryan? The Utah Jazz. Same. We agree on that. <laughs> is that enough, said? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm uh, I like their roster. I don't know. I don't think they really added anybody, no, though. it's a lot of the same. It's a lot of the same. But uh, need a big year out of D. Mitch, obviously. Rudy Gobert has got to play at another defensive player of the year caliber. Has to have that uh, for the Jazz to go far. Uh, I think they they can't get better than a five. That's my opinion. I don't think they can get better than a five. I think a five is what they are. Yeah, and that's fine. I have thoroughly enjoyed so far this year having like a highlight of somebody doing something good against Rudy Gobert, like a dunk, a block, something, and somebody just quoting it and saying, y'all paid this man $200 plus million, <laughs> like, right. again. Um, Donovan Mitchell... Good player. If he can step up his game and just continue to improve like he has shown, he has already done in those first couple years of the NBA, um, then obviously the ceiling for this Jazz team gets higher. Um, We saw his performance in the bubble um, in that first round series against Jamal Murray and the Nuggets. That was extremely exciting to see. Um, Both of those guys were making shots. Um, It was nice to see Donovan Mitchell, who can score from the outside, but was really doing that um, at will at times, it seemed like, in that series. If he can continue to build on that this year, I think this Jazz team comfortably makes the playoffs at five, like you said, and maybe does some things in the playoffs. And as long as they have the Batman villain as their head coach, then they will definitely make the playoffs. 
He does it like he would live in Gotham. Gotham. Who is your four seed? Here? Okay, uh, my four seed is the Dallas Mavericks. Okay. Uh, I didn't really think about the Seth Curry departure, honestly, when I was thinking about the Rockets or the Mavericks. My main focus was basically Luca's going to play at an MVP type level, and so far he, re- I mean, he's putting up good numbers right now, but he's still not, not there when you're thinking of an MVP numbers. Um, <clears throat> so I, I mean, I like their roster. Porzingis is coming back, coming back in like a week or two. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. Um, I like the addition of Josh Richardson. He's a nice little perimeter shooter that surrounds. Um, Doncic, so uh, and I like Rick Carlisle, their head coach. Uh, I think he can pull this team. I think their spark that they had and against the Clippers, the game winner by Luca. I think that kind of made them have confidence as a team because they brought back everybody but Seth, pretty Mm -hmm. much. So we, I brought this up earlier. My four seed are the Phoenix Suns. Maybe a little prisoner of the moment. When you mentioned the Suns, when you broke them down, and I will be honest with you, I didn't know this previously. I just looked. I'm looking at it right now as I'm speaking. Um, you mentioned Booker, you mentioned Aiton, and you mentioned Chris Paul. Besides those guys, there are four others. So a total of seven guys on the Suns. And I this is impressive to me. I don't even know if it's a regular thing. But seven guys on that team are averaging double-digit points. Um, Bridges is the second highest scorer on that team with 14 behind Devin Booker's uh, 21 and a half. Um, I like Aiton and CP3 are averaging less than him. Aiton has 13.4 and Chris Paul has 13.3 points per game. Need more out of Aiton. Aiton, yes. His potential, I think, again, like the Wiseman thing, it's obviously Aiton's had more time in the league. I think it's barely scratching the type of surf, the surface and the potential that he actually has. Um, yes, if the Suns are going to be that four seed, he has to play much better than just 13 uh, points per game. But they've got – they brought in Crowder, a good defensive guy, can make shots. Um, again, prisoner of the moment right now, I'm getting real caught up. I do like that they bring in Chris Paul, they bring in Crowder. Um do ultimately, I think they'll be the four seed. No, but at the time that I made this, I did, so I'm sticking by that. Um, and if they are that high, the Devin Booker is probably in the MVP discussion because he's having probably to score a lot and get guys involved and do well for them to be that high. So well, I have them at eight, but I think they can. Yeah, they can definitely go higher than that. I think they go to like if they do, I think they could get to like a five or six, maybe. Okay. But I have my eight. So that's my four. Who is your third in the West? I have the Denver Nuggets. Yes. Agreed. Agreed? Yes. Uh, they bring back pretty much everybody. Um, they added uh, RJ Hampton through the draft, which I thought it was kind of a steal. Like him a lot. Like him a lot. I don't know what he's doing right now, though. I don't know if he's getting a lot of PT. I haven't really kept up with the Nuggets this year, besides Jamal. Um, Jamal's kind of had, he started off kind of not great, but he's stepped it up the past few games. And then Jokic is just killing it right now. I mean, he is being, like, absurd right now. RJ Hampton is averaging .4. Okay, yeah, yeah. Points per game. (laughs) He's played in five games. 
Um, I'm. I like him though. I mean, yes, the, he's good. The Nuggets just have a very deep roster uh-huh. to where like rookies aren't gonna start right away or play right away. I'm waiting for Ball Ball to finally get the minutes and time. <laughs> How that many minutes he is he playing a game right now? Uh, four point <laughs> seven. What? Not enough. I don't know if he's been hurt though. Um, but. the big not story, but the big question mark for this team last year in the bubble was like how. The guys outside of Murray and Jokic, are they going to step up? Um, Gary Harris won't. Um, uh, Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter is Jr. Jr. Right now. is stepping up. He, he should have won Rookie of the Year. He's going to win it. I'm going to say it now. He's going to win an MVP at some time in his career. Um, You've been very high on him. And yeah. I've doubted you for all these years, and now and I'm it respecting him. Finally, <laughs> time that he got his head out of his finally. ass. Um Michael Porter Jr. averaging 19.5 points. So being a consistent third option for them is going to do a lot for them. Um, If it was never offensive question-wise with him, it was defense in the playoffs. He sort of got exposed. If he can continue to play well on the offensive end and play just respectable, like don't play Ole defense and just let your guy drive by right by you or cut and all that stuff, then I think he sees the floor – more and can provide and helps this Nuggets team. So I uh, also I mentioned to you this like off the podcast like a couple weeks ago. Will Barton during the Christmas games he looked extremely cool with just the one sweatband. Um, if <laughs> I he think can, he's actually doing pretty well. Right if now, he continues, Will Barton has eleven he, points a game. I mean that's not so bad. That's for not bad what, at all. Like how old he is. Yeah. So. Will Barton continue to do that where the one sweatband and Michael Porter Jr. continue to do well and the Nuggets, I think, do find that three seed. Who is your two seed? I think we're both going to have the Probably, same yeah. two ones. The Clippers. Clippers are my number two, and I really went back and forth between the Lakers or the Clippers as who should be. So why do you think – just some thoughts about the Clippers. Uh, I, don't, I, I just – I don't know. I mean, they're deep. They are they are deep. They were they got, deep last year. They were deep last year, though. That's the that's the question. Um, I think they get better this year, but I mean the Lakers just got even better. Mm-hmm. So that's why I had them at two. Just the Lakers, what what they added <clears throat> this off season. I I just think it just went to a whole another level. And then for the Clippers, I mean PG's back with his old trainer, his trainer where he was like an MVP candidate at OKC. So I think I mean he's already starting off with a great year. I think he's averaging about like twenty six maybe. Kawhi's need needs to step up a little bit, but he's been he had that real bad mouth injury a few games ago. So um, other than that, I mean Marcus Morris hasn't played a game yet. So they added Batum, which I, he's I, done pretty I, well. I like Batum. He's a good fit for them. And then getting rid of Doc Rivers is definitely probably gonna open things up for Paul George more and he's going to put up even better numbers throughout the year as he gets more confidence going. So I have them at two. Uh, I have them at two as well. I think how far and how well they do lies on what Paul George does this season and in the playoffs. He was a non-factor, basically all of the bubble had a abysmal game seven, but so sort of did Kawhi against the Nuggets. Um, I echo everything you said. I enjoy the guys they brought in. 
Um, oh, they they added a Abaka. Forgot about that. Bring an Abaka. They, I don't think in the grand scheme of things it matters all that much, but they lose Shamit. I think they just need more. Like they lose Shamit, but they need more scoring around them. Yeah. Because Lou Will, he's he's not getting any younger, and he was averaging what like eighteen throughout his whole career as a six man, and mm-hmm. now he's only doing like nine points. I mean, it is only like nine, ten games into the season, but he just needs more production. So the Clippers comfortably at two. I think there's too much talent at the top end of the roster with Kawhi and Paul for them not to be considered up near the top of the Western Conference. And then both of us obviously have, I'm assuming, have the Lakers at number one. They bring in Montrezl Harrell. They bring in Dennis Schroeder, two guys that were in the running. One won the sixth man of the year. Was the runner-up. Yeah, both. Schroeder being (laughs) the starting point guard, I enjoy. Um, I really liked him. Uh, back with Atlanta and OKC, fell. I've always liked him. He's a great player. Really liked him when I we, when I play on two K because of the hair, the little highlight, and then he used to. I don't know if he still does, but the little accent mark over the O on his last name, I thought was always cool. Um, and then He's it from turned, Germany, I believe. Then it turns out, hey, this guy's actually pretty decent at basketball. <laughs> um, they add those two pieces. They bring in Marcus All, who I think. Offensively, no, he's not as good as a Dwight Howard, but I think his passing, obviously better than Dwight. Defense. And his defense is nice. His ability to stretch the floor and open things up for LeBron and Cutters and AD, um, that's important. So I like what they brought in. Um, I have extreme faith in Vogel to figure out how this team gels and rotations and things like that. And so far this year, it's been on Twitter. It's been echoed, but you take LeBron out and then you bring Montrez in or you bring Kuzma. She's stepping up when players are out. All these other guys in. And it's not like, hey, let's just try not to have the team like catch up on this lead we have. It's let's increase this lead and they – Seems like they have the talent and guys to be able to do that rather than just fending off the other team to build leads on that. What are your thoughts on what the Lakers are doing? I think they just upgraded in every position that they lost. Like, they lost uh, um, Danny Green. They upgraded with Wesley Matthews, which I I really like Wesley Matthews. Uh, They're going to miss Danny Green's defense, but I think Wesley might be like a more consistent shooter. He's not going to get that many looks, though, with LeBron and AD, obviously. And then two of the six men of the year off the bench, which is pretty crazy to me that they added both of them for such a small price. I was shocked when Montrez signed with them. I did not I kind of figured – I, I knew, I knew Dennis was going to go, but I didn't I, – I, I was just as shocked as – I mean, everybody was shocked when Montrez said he was going to the Lakers. For only, like, what, $8 million? Yeah, for two. Two years? Yeah. That's so crazy. I guess he just wants to win. Be with LeBron. And he's on the right side. And he's, uh, he's um, clutch sports, too, right? He's got the same agent, Rich Paul. So do you want to just venture a guess right now, a finals, not who wins, just a finals matchup? We can do who wins, too. Okay. Uh, I'll do the Lakers- Versus, I am going to go with 
the Nets. The Nets. Lakers and Nets. I mean, that's the most popular choice, I guess. Okay, I'm going to go with the Lakers after a grueling five-game series against the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. Um, they are going to play. Oh, I'll say the Celtics. That's very kind of chalky, but fuck it. I'll say the Celtics, and I'll take the Lakers to beat yeah. the Celtics. I'll take the Lakers to beat the Nets. Okay. Now, we talk about the seedings and the teams. Let's talk about some individual awards before we wrap up real quick. Um, Which ones do you have? Do you have, like, Coach of the Year and I stuff have like Coach, that? Defensive Player, Sixth Man, Most Improved, Rookie, and MVP. All right, let's start with Coach. Okay, Coach, obviously if the Suns are going to be the four seed, Monty Williams <laughs> yeah. is going to be the Coach of the Year. Who do you got as your coach? I, I got, like, a toss-up between Brad Stevens and Rick Carlisle. The Mavericks coach. Uh, I don't know. I just hope that the Mavericks do well this year. I think he did pretty well with them last year. So if he does well again, I think he deserves it. Okay. Who's your defensive player of the year? AD. I have Anthony Davis as well. Anthony I think, Davis. I think it's like a makeup call from last year. This, yeah, this, win it. this needs to be the year. I mean, he's, yeah. he's had multiple years where he, I think he's deserved it, especially okay. last year. Uh, who is your sixth man of the See, year? See, like, this one kind of confused. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say Montrez again. Okay. Back to back. Or uh, he's on the Jazz, Jordan Clarkson. Uh-huh. I think he, he can he could win it too, maybe. Well, with Jordan Clarkson, I think he... He's a solid backup to Donovan. He gets a ton of volume. Like, he gets a lot of shots up when he's in the game. So his stats, I think can be good enough to do that. Um, I have – he's not even going to be a six-man now, so it kind of defaults it. But Karis LeVert. Yeah, he is. Kind of. Sort of yes, yeah, no. I'm high on him. He's coming off the bench right now, so yeah. If, if the Nets are going to be good, he has, they have to have bench production, and I think he can do that. So I have Karis LeVert I like, I like that as pick. my six. I like um, that. Who's your most improved player? I have it between two, but I'm just going to say the one that I think. Porter Jr. Okay. Michael Porter Jr. He's going from, what, nine points per game last year to 19 right now. And if he can continue on that, I mean, he's the clear favorite in my opinion. It kind of bugged me last year that uh, Devontae Graham wasn't considered at all Mm -hmm. for most improved. So I feel like this could be the year that people actually recognize that big of a jump when it comes to the, the points. Um, this might surprise you for who I have as most improved, but I'm going to go with Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, he's on a terrible team, so his numbers can definitely go. I think that's exactly why. I don't think he himself is going to like improve all that much. I think just with the lack of talent around him, he's going to like be looked at as one of the guys, if not the guy. I mean, you lose Chris Paul, you lose Gallinari, you lose Steven Adams. I, they got Bunch Dort. They got too, fucking probably. Dort. <laughs> and besides I Dort... Like, uh, Darius Baisley, he's pretty nice. He, but he's inconsistent. Okay. And he's like a twig. He needs to put some pounds on. So I think Shea, just because his numbers are going to rise, and he's really the only like viable option at the moment... For the Thunder, that's why I think he's the most improved. Who is your rookie? Wiseman. 
Wiseman. Uh, I'm not a big fan. I mean, I love Anthony Edwards' interviews, but yes. I'm not a big fan of his game. And he's on, like, I don't know what the Timberwolves are even going to do this year. Carl Towns is out. And I feel like a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the factor that goes into rookie of the year sometimes is what the team does, too. And if the Timberwolves are, like, absolutely awful, and Edwards only averages about, like, 13 a game, I can't see it. I mean... Another another uh, one that pops out is Melo. He's stepping up his game. Um, he's my pick. He's, he's my pick. pick. Yeah. He's stepping up his game. He's getting more PT, but I don't know how much production he's going to get with Terry Rozier and um, Devontae Graham in front of him. So, like I said, Lamelo is my pick. Right now, Lamelo's averaging twelve points a game, but that's with mm-hmm. only twenty-four minutes played. I think maybe as this season goes on and the Hornets continue to suck and there's really no like major reason to see what I mean, you know what Terry Rozier is. Maybe you let LaMelo just like play a little bit more, run the offense a little bit more just to see what this guy can actually bring and do. I think that helps his numbers and I think he's going to have a decent amount of opportunity and it does kind of suck because obviously LaMelo he garners a lot of attention but the Hornets do not Um, I think it will help Wiseman that he's on the Warriors and they do get a ton of like nationally televised games I mean they're I don't fucking know why but the Wednesday game last night was the Clippers and the Warriors, and the Friday game at ESPN is the Clippers and the Warriors, but in San Francisco. I don't get why they did that, but... Hmm, that is weird. But back to the... LaMelo is my um, rookie of the year. And then I'll do my MVP, and then I'll let you get it. I, again, I'm on Luka or Kevin Durant as my MVP. Um, I still think Kevin Durant is if he is healthy, one of, if not the best basketball players in the world, it is probably going to have Kyrie... Having Kyrie is probably going to cut into his production, but I still think Kevin Durant is that team's number one, but the ultimate number one that like everybody is sort of looking to on a team is Luka and the Mavericks. Um, I think... Right now, I've started the year off a bit slow, but even his slow like stretches are people's, as I said earlier, good stretches, or bad, his bad games are people's good games. Um, he just had his first triple-double a couple nights ago. I think that's going to continue to build, and I think Luka ultimately does. And I think what plays a big part into that is I don't think the media wants to give it to Giannis again. He's already won it two years in a row. Has anybody three-peated? I don't know if anybody's three P, but I feel like I don't think they have. They don't. They want to have parity. Like they want the league wants to build up young stars, and that's I think that's probably coming down from Silver and the league saying like have some parity. So I don't think Giannis is going to win it again. I think Luca has been dubbed this new next guy, and this award cements it. Luca's my pick. Um, I just think he's just going to put up. Triple double numbers every single night, especially with a team like a roster around him, and he's got to do it all. I mean, he does do it all: passes, rebounds, shoots, drives, 
you name it, he does it. Um, I think he's the clear favorite. Other than him, I really don't know who else would be. I mean, right now, Joel Embiid. But I, I, then again, I don't know if he's going to be. He was very inconsistent last year. So I don't know about him. Another, one, another name that comes to mind is probably AD or LeBron James. I feel like they're the same situation. <clears throat> but the, with the, like, yeah. they take away minutes. They're, yeah. They're going to give them days off or rest time. So, yeah, when it's set and done, I think it's probably going to be Luka. He's so young, so talented. On the come up, he had a great bubble bubble performance, and I think he builds on that. He's starting off slow. I think that's just because there wasn't that much time between the bubble and then the start of the new season. And uh, I think he wins it. Ryan, you got anything else you want to get off your chest or express or let any of the listeners know before? Um, a rookie that you should keep an eye out for is Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly, yes. The Kentucky <laughs> Knicks are... They're liking him a lot, too. They they uh, gave him a bad grade on that draft. They thought he was a little too high. They, didn't, they wanted to take best available. They didn't think that that was right. They gave him a D-plus. And now Knicks fans are Who's laughing to, now? The Knicks fans want statues of IQ out on the front. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> We're laughing now. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. I enjoy each time we do this. We will do this probably once again before the playoffs start, whenever that is, because of this weird, funky season. So thank you once again for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. That does it for episode 79 of Carson Sack. This episode is running on two hours long. We are done. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit. And as we always end here on Carson Sack, we will be...